now, your host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of international exploration, supernatural elimination and investigation, and all other kinds of crazy worlds that TriTac Games produces. Thanks for joining us this week and every week as we explore these strange places and hopefully give you some ideas that you can use in your own TriTac game or in your games that you do from any other company. This week, we're talking about being a trader, more or less of a fringeworthy orientation, as in if you're going to another world, what kind of stuff would you bring with you? And how to be an effective trader in a new world. It can apply to other games, such as Hardware Hinterland, Incursion. Probably not Bureau 13. Uh, except the fact that usually you don't worry about money very much in Bureau 13. But sometimes you go into an area and setting yourself up as some kind of a merchant is actually a good way of gathering information and establishing yourself in the community. Yep. Our first question is, why be a trader, especially in Fringeworthy? Blix, what do you think? Well, it gives you access to all kinds of uh, technology and stuff that you might not have. Like if you were to take a, a pocket stop and set up a trade shop, you would have access to everything out there as people pass through. And once you build up your shop enough, you know, you would have you'd have things to trade them as well. So I imagine it's being like this big, crazy looking pawn shop. Or, or imagine set up a pawn shop in the storage facility that they have in uh, Indiana Jones, the end of the first movie. You know, we got all these crates around. It's like, do you happen to have a, a ray gun of some kind? It's like, uh, do you want a wobbler, a blaster, uh, a shrink ray? Flamethrower? Flamethrower, right. No, no, bl- blame thrower. Oh, blame thrower. Sorry. Sorry, sorry, blame thrower. Right, right, right. <laughs> You'd have all that stuff in your grasp at any time you actually need it. So if you were to go on an adventure or something, you could say, well, I'm going to borrow from the store. I'll get a few of these and a few of those. And, you know, um, I could see that as being like sort of the, the coolest benefit from it. And of course, like you were saying, information, these people come in and they start wanting to trade with you. And of course, they start talking. Found this in a world where you know there was a bunch of ruins and just stuff laying around everywhere, but you got to watch the radiation. Oh yeah, what world was that? So then you know what you're doing next week: getting on your spacesuit and going to go check out this area. You know, because they couldn't hang around for a while. But being that you had a space spacesuit in your back storage room, you can put that on and you can do a little more exploring than they did. So it's kind of an opportunistic uh, intelligence gathering network. Yes. Of course, that assumes that you have an awful lot of stuff. So you're talking about a pretty big operation in that pocket stop. You could start it small with basic supplies. You know, you you could start small with things like ammo, all kinds of ammo. That seems to be pretty easy to get. <laughs> yeah, everybody on the French pass always wants to arm up, right? Right, right. Well, well, I'm going going other places, but I was going to say more importantly, food, food and gasoline would probably be two things, or diesel would probably be two things that you. You really want set up a couple gas pumps. You start out as, as a gas station slash thrift store, like like a Seven Eleven. Because the French paths are more or less form of a desert. Yes, there's no natural ecology out there. You know, the, there's not not a whole lot of bubbling streams moving along those metal roadways that go for almost 50 miles without a break. Most puck stops are natural garbage collectors. They pull stuff from other worlds. You wake up in the morning and you go through and you look, see what's appeared overnight or has just appeared. And 
see if it's still in working order, if it, or if it can be fixed or not. And now you got something that you can sell. You have no idea where it's going to be or where it is, but hey, you know, it might find something interesting. Uh, actually, I wrote a little uh, scenario like that called uh, Simon of, of Vandenberg Essential Goods about a fringe worker who sells down and in a pocket stop and has a truck garden where he grows vegetables and food and he's a source of fresh water for people traveling through, through the area. But he also trades with other worlds on, on that alt. So he'll pick up some stuff that stuff that's appeared and use that stuff to get stuff he, he, he really needs from the other worlds ne- nearby. But let's, let's get back to why you'd want to be a trader. Okay, you, you suggested this idea of setting up on the fringe paths in a pocket stop. All right, and that and that's fine. I, I think there's um, you know information gathering is a good idea. Um, it certainly acts as a, a way of enlarging the range of IDET explorations by you providing an essential equipment dump and manning it so it doesn't get ripped off uh, by other fringe walkers. But uh, let's say you went to a world itself and you wanted to be a trader in the world as part of your exploration. Why would you do it there? If you're going to be going to a world and you're looking for trade opportunities, I would think that you would want to go to a world that you know you're going to get something in return. Now, that would take the, the what's the word I'm looking at? The entrepreneur, that would be his intelligence gathering. Go on to the world, slip in through the portal, and just look around and say, okay, is there any natural resources I might want? Do these people make certain things? Like, let's say they make certain types of crafts that this guy fee- would feel that, oh, you know, they make these type of, you know, dolls or pots or whatever, you know, something that I can trade and get supplies. And the guy would have to go and find a world that would suit him. Okay, I have stuff that they want. What are they going to give me in return? Once he figures that out, then he can start setting up a trade operation and he can do it just well depending on what type of world it is i mean it could be either a store or just like peddler's cart right mm-hmm. something like that push cart yeah thank you or a wagon he could start up with with that to start with especially if it's a lower tech culture if it's like a bunch of 17th century people you're not going to want to come in with like a big diesel truck with stuff in the back i mean that just no you're going to want to come in and do – that'll be part of the intelligence gathering. Okay, what tech level are these people? What type of cultural things do I need to look for? And he might slip in there incognito and try to get a gauge on his new prospective market. Sure. It doesn't have to be a low-tech culture for you to do that. Well, no, I'm just saying if it was, he would have to sit there and figure out, okay, how am I going to gauge? Well, he's going to have to find out what type of culture it is, and once he gauges whether it's a higher level right. of culture, then act accordingly. I think we should assume that if we're going to, someone's going to go in as a trader, they're going to go a merchant, they're going to have at least some basic intelligence on the world. I mean, maybe not a whole lot, not enough to, to get yourself elected or anything like that, but probably some idea of what the tech level is, uh, some idea of, of, of the amount of population, and some just some basic information so you can actually go in and have a chance of entering into the culture without immediately being branded as uh, somebody who has to be you know run out of, on, a, on a rail. Yeah. At least not immediately. Yeah. <laughs> The way I was looking at it was is that you know, you're going into an area and you want to make contact. 
But the problem is, is that even though you speak the language fluently, you're still an outsider. But by going in there as someone who's a trader, a merchant, a traveling merchant, then you actually have a bit of a buy-in because people expect that. They expect people who are traveling merchants not to be familiar with all the different intimate aspects of their area uh, because they're from somewhere else. Yeah, And this gives you a certain amount of uh, coin and the kind of mistakes that you might be making as you first start interacting with people. It also makes people curious about you and make them want to interact with you to see what you have, to see if there's something new that you have they've never seen before. It gives you an opportunity to ask casual questions that fills in the blanks for you that they would normally expect people to know these things in their area, but since you're an outsider, then they're like, well, yeah, of course, you don't know this because you're from somewhere else. Well, let me tell you about this, and let me tell you about the strange house up on the hill, and and yeah, there's a whole waterway about 10 miles away. It's about 20 miles wide, and, and there's lots of boats to go up and down there. Right, yeah. You know, it's, it's funny that you say it that way. You know, I hadn't even considered, you know, I've never, ever considered this, and it's it's a really good exercise in psychology. If you have a guy shows up, he's an outsider or a foreigner, mm-hmm. and he just shows up and he doesn't seem to have purpose, you know, or he's just visiting or whatever. You're kind of wary of him because you think, well, what does he want? And in your, you know, in the back of your mind, you want to make sure, well, is he going to try and take something from me? Is he going to try and, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to gauge this person. But if somebody shows up as a merchant, you expect them to be an outsider or an alien or whatever to that area. And you become intrigued because you want to see what you can get from him. Because if he's trading, it means he has something that you might want. You know, you think about any time you go to any kind of street vendor or anything like that, you don't care where they're from or what their nationality is. You don't even think about it. You want to go look at their goods. So it's just kind of a neat thing about the way humans work, you know, in that if they, if they don't have something to offer you, you question them. But if they have something to offer you, generally, you're very interested to see what they have. And every uh, happy customer that you as a merchant have just increases your coin in that community. Because mm-hmm. probably somewhere in there, you're going to be paying taxes to the local magistrate. And so and some of that coinage is staying in the town. It's not just all leaving. Yes. Okay. Bruce, you were talking about reasons to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could see iDebt sponsoring something like this or, or at least subsidizing something like this on worlds where they want to keep an eye on them. So instead of just having an ambassador there, just keeping a guy there, I could see them wanting to set up some kind of trade shop or, or – yeah, some kind of trade shop mm-hmm. because that's a way for you to keep an eye on the world without them realizing that's what you're doing. You'd probably want to set it close to the portal or the warp so that you know what kind of people are traveling in and around – the portal or the warp so the guy can keep kind of keep an eye on it if there's a lot of soldiers in the area keep coming in you know he might say well he might report back to idet look there's a lot of uh military activity in and around the, the the portal you know we should keep an eye on them because they might be trying to like make some kind of military move or something or you might want to move the port the warp because with a good enough crystal you can move that warp and if you're if your warp is right next to a military encampment, mm-hmm. it would be a good idea to move it someplace else before you do any really large-scale exploration, bringing in a lot of gear and things like that. Right, but it also puts you as, a, as an intricate part of the town. Right. 
you become a member of their community. You know, maybe that's your day job. And then in, in your evening, you know, you work as sort of an ambassador for IDET. You know, you go to the bar and you talk to people or, you, you know, you chum up. I mean, depending on the, the genre that you're in, like let's say it's a medieval town or something and you've, you've already made first contact. And they don't think you're some demon from another dimension or whatever. So you, you, IDET's already starting to garnish good relations with them, but they want to keep somebody there in order to keep those ties open. This would be a good way to do it. Yeah. Right. And a lot of times the, what you're there to do is observe. Now, people standing around observing draw a lot of attention eventually and a lot of suspicion. But people who are standing around minding their store or minding their cart right next to the thing that they want to observe have a perfect reason for being there. Oh, yeah. Matter of fact, they may even have a permit for being there. So they get the buy-in from the powers that be. Oh, Okay. Well, of course, because you're paying taxes, right? Right. So if you want to be watching, you know, who, who goes in and out of the, the, the large building, uh, the, the government building or the, 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 the big church there, we park your hot dog cart right across from there and get to know everybody. It is a great way to infiltrate. You know, I don't want to make it sound like it's evil, but you are practicing inf- infiltration. You are infiltrating into another world, and people you want to make friends with are your fellow merchants. You may actually get some deals and some food for one thing. You get some cheap food, <laughs> but two, you also get you start getting put in, plugged into the local gossip, local information, underground information network that these markets usually in, uh, engender. The merchants they hear everything. People are talking yeah. around them constantly. And you may get lucky, and maybe one of them knows somebody who knows somebody who you really want to talk to uh, later on down the road. You decide you're going to be there for a while two, three months, whatever, IDEX not going to give you that much gold. So you're going to have to earn a living. <laughs> and being an itinerant, merchant, itinerant trader or merchant, that works. Sometimes the best place for research is right there in Earth Prime or one of the other friendlies we have. Let's say the, the portal's in Thailand, but it's Thailand of, say, the 15th century. Oh, wait a second. Don't we have the Mongol, the the Golden Horde? Maybe if we you know pay the right things, we can find out what it's like in their world, or we can look at Thailand right now and do a little research and see what markets were like back in the 15th century in Thailand. And so that's part of your research, uh, which means then having period correct wares and goods because. If you show up with stainless steel knives and forks, people are going to start really noticing you and people who you may not want to notice you as well. Yeah. Yeah, so you you want to make sure your goods are good enough to sell, but they're not so good that they actually draw attention to you. You want to be just another merchant in the market. You don't want to be that merchant in the market. Right. So it's a good idea, first of all, to start small. Yes. Selling out of a wagon or out of a push cart or, or maybe a, a very small storefront, depending upon what the setting is. Yeah. Or a blanket. <laughs> well, yeah, because, you know, as you said, you go up and down those uh, streets in New York City and there's lots of merchants all along the streets mm-hmm. selling things, sometimes selling on smaller than a card table yep. and apparently doing a good business. Uh, but things you could do that would probably be useful would be, you know, as as you said, unless there's a lot of laws against it, selling food is probably a good way of starting because everybody's got to eat. Not every food has to be prepared. Candy bars. I mean, come on. Candy? 
candy store. There's a whole massive group of people between the age of uh, 1 and 15 that will be interested in coming to your shop. Or if you want to go the other way, which is, of course, the, the gourmet chocolates, too. I mean, you know, you're going to have the, the 91% cocao uh, chocolates and stuff like that. They're really dark chocolates, which kids don't like, but, you know, the, the women do. Life is too short to waste by eating bad chocolate, yes. Yes. <laughs> and speaking of that, uh, there's an excellent movie called Chocolat, which involves a woman who comes into a town and sets up a chocolate shop. And she gets into trouble with the local church because they decide that her chocolate is just too good and it's sinful. They don't shut her down, but they tell their, their parishioners not to go there because it's not proper. And, of course, uh, immediately she becomes popular. Yep. Thank you, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you, you, it's quite possible, no matter what your product is, you may run afoul of somebody. But, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be ready to switch. I mean, or take advantage of it. It could be... Yeah. Sometimes, you know, being notorious is almost as good as being famous. Yeah. I, I got one for you. There's this spice called Grains of Paradise. It's a pepper alternative. Um, I mean, it's its own spice. It's not pepper, but it's light. It's pepper-like. So people use it, you know, they use it in place of pepper. The reason why they call it Grains of Paradise is because the vendors got this really cool marketing ploy. They said that it, it flowed out of the rivers coming out of Eden and they collected it off the water because it tasted so good. The people bought it up because people actually really thought that this thing was flowing out of a river in Eden. Sometimes you can get away with that kind of stuff. Right. It's amazing uh, what, what you can mix in, uh, with sugar and have it suddenly taste a lot better. I mean, I, I, I didn't realize until I, w- I became an adult that the reason that I liked Heinz ketchup more than Hunt's ketchup is because Heinz had a lot more sugar in it. Hmm. And I never thought of ketchup as having sugar in it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Another option other than like uh, food service is you could be a junk dealer. Oh, yeah. And this is a great way of collecting technology uh, in the area because people will just bring you their trash. But to you, it's information. Mm-hmm. And you can turn around and say, well, I've got this junky old thing over here, which actually is a very useful piece that – You've scratched up and did whatever, and you can turn around and hand them a repaired or a cobbled together device that actually will be very useful to their community, like a water pump or a possibly a pulley system if, they, if they're so primitive that they don't even have like a, a, a differential pulley. Find it of the one Doctor Who episode during Christopher Eccleston's uh, one season where mm-hmm. they're in the underground bunker with all the alien technology and they're looking for a weapon to fight the Dalek and the doctor is there picking up all these huge weapons. Broken, 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 looks at it, sets it the other way, hair dryer, broken. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to end up right. running across it. You'll end up getting stuff if you're a junk dealer. You may not even know what it is. Like, well, it's technology it's something you know yeah right well the, but that's good yeah that's information yeah it's the whole buyer beware thing though if you sell something that you don't know what it is and ends up disintegrating half a city block you might want to get out of dodge real quick well uh, well they're probably not going to sell that to you yeah. well you know or you find it and you know it's like yeah. you know it, it the whole thing with the junk dealer yeah you'll find out stuff about the culture if they uh sell you things 
but you're going to end up with too much stuff. You're going to end up with, I would think, a lot more useless stuff than useful stuff. Maybe you're doing a, a technology survey, and getting junk is a great way to, to do a general survey. It also tells you how much how much of the stuff they have. So yeah, they have a bunch of framets and and thingamabobs, you know, a lot more than than we do here on Earth Prime. That tells you something. You know, that's informa- that's information. Information is always valuable. Well, yeah. It's also a way of you going and introducing new technology into an area. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard for us to believe that it's been only 20 years since the first computer PCs came out. And we look back at them now and say they're totally useless. But you take a junk, you know, a whole big pile of junk PCs over to a world that's in 1980s technology, and you're selling them for $33,000 a pop. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, you're not limited just one world. If you're, if you actually are trying to be a real a merchant, not just a front as a merchant, yep. uh, then you're, at some point you're going to be trying to create some kind of a triangle trade where you you buy you know cheap from one world and sell high at the next one and the next one where you can just keep revolving it around. Yeah, though that 1980s world may start asking the questions. So this is great. You're selling us all your crap computers. Can you tell us how to make them? So we don't have to buy them from you anymore. That becomes a different problem at that point. Well, and you say, I don't know how to make them. And you're honest, because you don't. Yeah. <laughs> Just say, this is a new material that, you know, we've gotten from, you know, over the mountains. And you can weave it, and it's tougher and stronger than the cotton you use now. It'll last longer. Here you go. Here's, you know, 20 balls of it for this much. Thank you. And you're on your way. And, you know. Yeah, if they know how to make weave with cotton, then this new material you know, won't be much different. Hey, if, and if you're talking about like a medieval world and you don't want them bugging you about where you got it or how they can make it or how they can get it, you tell them, oh, yeah, we have special – you know, we have these special handlers who go into these caves and are the giant cave spiders and they milk the giant cave spiders to get this fabric. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, we'll just buy it from you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then, of course, that's when you show it with the Demixie and says, you got to put on a little show for these folks. <laughs> and, and, and the Demixie says, milking me is getting a little personal. <laughs> no, just weave something, okay? <laughs> Demixie's looking going, what, no dinner and a movie first? Get away from me. Yeah. <laughs> but you can uh, introduce new technology or slightly better technology into an area. Mm-hmm. You don't really want to come in and dump a whole unsupported technology in an area unless, of course, you want to make them dependent upon you, which is mm-hmm. not necessarily a bad ploy, but it means that you're really going to be stuck there. Uh, and that's really something that would probably be better for a fringe walker versus an IDET person. Yeah, I think we went on this discussion before about introducing new technology to a lower-level culture and the, the fallout that might happen to that. I believe we've done that yeah. But when you go into a world and you see these people, a few things could really make a big difference to them, but they're they're got a lot of cultural, you know, inertia, then this is one way of introducing new things in an acceptable way, and you can accelerate their development in the areas that you want them to, like plumbing, for example. That's one of the best ways of increasing the overall health of a community is by simply giving them proper sanitation. We're doing with the UN and United Nations as well, and it may turn out they say, well, this is a way for our various member nations of the UN to increase their trade with other alternate worlds. There may be actual programs in place to take stuff from various third world countries and now sell them 
to other, well, third world worlds in this place. So it may actually be a, a trade net being formed at that point. Which then, as, as, we, as we point out in transportation, requires whole new forms of transportation to move this stuff through the fringe, through the pathways again to the various worlds. So it, it becomes a major operation at that point. And, and it does require either the Turinsky or the... Uh, Easter Island is would be the best one. Easter Island, you're right, would be the best one. Or Bahamas, you know, because they actually have a port there. They actually have a, a, a port that can actually handle containers, containerized ships in Bahamas. So either one of those, you know, that would actually be the best one of the, of the bunch. And you just start shipping right on through. Can we wind up having some kind of interdimensional NAFTA type thing? You know, FWFTA, the Fringeworthy Free Trade Agreement. You know, <laughs> I would not laugh at that. I actually think that would happen. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. The Tri-Tech Podcast is protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The Tri-Tech Podcast is wholly owned by Tri-Tech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.